Welcome to Season 2 Women in STEM Podcast. I am your host, Kelly, and expect from this season amazing guest host speakers from around the world and information that will help enrich your life and knowledge about women in STEM. Welcome to the Women in STEM Podcast, and today we'll be discussing what are NFTs. I would just like to make a quick disclaimer that this is not financial advice. And here with me to discuss NFTs is my co-host speaker. Would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hi, everyone. So I'm an NFTL. Um, by day, I am a web developer for a video games company. But by night, I seem to have picked up a sort of interest in blockchain technology and like basically talking to anyone who will listen to me about how interesting and cool I think this technology is. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, would you like to discuss like what your career path has been so far? Okay, yeah, so it's a chance to give my like villain origin story. Um, okay, it doesn't start off entirely dramatically, but the way I like to tell people about how I came to be today is to draw attention to the fact that I'm not from a traditional computer science background. Um, in fact, I actually did uh, biology at university genetics. Um, and so a lot of my life was working in a lab um, just doing experiments and that's the way I envisioned my life at that time in that I'd be working in a lab doing all these experiments and essentially like just that's what I thought I'd be doing um it didn't exactly turn out that way and so at that point in my life I kind of was at a crossroads I could essentially continue with the biology that I'd known for like majority of my like adult life uh, by going for a master's or a PhD or I could take the risk and do something different. And that something different was try and enter the technology uh, industry. And the reason why I chose technology is because I actually had a classmate who at that time, when everyone was kind of choosing uh, masters and PhDs to do that were biology related, she actually bucked the trend and applied for a graduate scheme with a major bank who taught her how to code over the summer. And so within the space of maybe two, three months, she went from not knowing any code to essentially like writing Java. And so I thought to myself, why can't that also be something I do for myself? And so I at that time didn't have the money to enter a coding boot camp. And so I decided to do uh, the sort of difficult thing and try and teach myself how to code. And uh, that was definitely very interesting to say so. I don't know whether I should continue. No, definitely continue. So you you taught yourself how to code and how did you um, go about getting the current role that you're in now? And what is the current position that you are currently working in your career? Yeah, so um, I feel like my story has a little bit of serendipity because I started off essentially um, teaching myself, but I also made sure that I wasn't doing this alone. I joined a couple of groups such as Code First Girls and Coding Black Females, shout out them. And it was good to have like sort of that being surrounded by other women who are in this space, trying to get into this space, those who are already in this space giving us advice. And then I was looking for internships and um, 
just ways that I could like get my foot in the door on Indeed. And I saw a um, advertisement for an apprenticeship with a major video games company where um, I knew that they'd done some games before and I just thought, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm not gonna get it. Maybe I'll apply, but I don't think I'm gonna get it. Well, um, I made it through all the interview rounds to the point I was shocked when I got a call telling me that I'd got the role. And so for the next two years, I was working as an apprentice for them. Uh, and where I am now at the moment is that I work as a mid-level developer. So how did you get to the current position that you're in now? Okay, so... Um, I had decided that my way of trying to get into the technology field was to teach myself because I actually didn't have the money to join a coding boot camp. And so I was using a lot of uh, YouTube tutorials. I'd also joined a couple of groups such as Code First Girls um, and Coding Black Females as a way to like learn with other women who are in a similar position and get advice from people who are already in the industry. Mm -hmm. And then in wanting to look for an internship to like have my first big break, I found a position on a job board with a video games company that were looking for apprentices. Um, I thought at first I wouldn't get it, but I made it through all the sort of interview rounds until I was one of the one of two people who were chosen to come and work as apprentices for this company. And so that was my big major break into technology. Um, from that point on, working as an apprentice, learning on the job, I have been with the same company for the last four years now, where I've progressed from an apprentice to a junior to now a mid. And um, yeah, so that's kind of like my story up to this date. Um, it's not really including the blockchain stuff, but I guess we can always talk about that. We'll definitely get into that. Don't you worry. Um, so... I think we should just get right into it. What are NFTs in plain English? Like, I know it's become extremely popular, but I know still so many people don't really understand what NFTs are. Oh, okay. This is like hard mode because I don't have any like pictures to point to. And I have to try and like say this in plain English, but like, I'm going to take the challenge. Okay, so the way I would go about explaining NFTs is to start off by the word itself. NFT stands for non-fungible tokens. And I think the key to understanding it is the word fungible. So fungibility is actually an economics term that describes if something is essentially identical as something else, like they are they have the same value. So an example is the £10 in your pocket is the same as the £10 in my pocket. If we were to exchange, we'd still both have £10 at the end of the day. Uh, stocks are fungible things. Um, what is it? Apples, like if you have an apple, I have an apple, they're like fungible. When things are described as non-fungible, however, it means that they essentially can't be exchanged like they are unique goods. And so an example of that would be like the Mona Lisa, uh, Pokemon cards or something as like, like your house, essentially. Like it's a unique thing. You can't exchange it for another thing. It's like only one of them. And so a non-fungible token is essentially a token that is unique um, in that it is something that like is only one of a kind and there could be perhaps uh several 
NFTs that are launched as a collection, but you have, say, token one of 15, you have token two of 15, like mm -hmm. you only have one. And so the trick to understanding NFTs is maybe not so much to focus on the pictures that are associated with them, like the little silly JPEGs that everyone seems to be like going gaga about mm -hmm. and like buying for way more money than I can comprehend. And simply saying that what all an NFT does is just prove that you are the owner of that thing. So it just proves that you are the owner of Jack Dorsey's first tweet. You are the owner of Nyan Cat as it races through space in the JPEG. Like, and that technology depends on the blockchain as a source of where we store that information about who owns what. Um, so essentially an NFT is just a certificate that proves that you own something. It's not actually the image itself. Mm. Not sure if I'm pleased with that explanation, but like, yeah. Right. So um, the people who are watching this on YouTube, you would be able to see um, that she has a profile picture of an NFT. And uh, the best way to describe it is a rainbow earth cat. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of like a gift because it's moving. Um, would you be able to explain the story behind this particular NFT or um, you know, how it kind of uh, links to what an NFT is? Yeah, so this NFT is um, a form of Nyan Cat. Nyan Cat is a little originally was a little rainbow pop tart cat that was running through uh, running through space and the creator created it and it kind of blew up on the internet back in 2000 and uh, I don't even remember maybe 2010 2008 um I think the author was maybe the the illustrator who made the cat was perhaps a bit resentful because they couldn't profit off this cat but now as an nft they are um, making big bucks. Uh, for, so for this particular NFT, um, if I go on the website where it's being sold, uh, if I wanted to purchase that NFT, as in like have proof that I am the owner of the NFT, I would need to part with $2,089,000 just to buy this. Like it's a JPEG. And so, I mean, I didn't need to pay to copy and paste. But what I don't have is sort of proof of that ownership. I can't then like sell it on to someone else because um, it's not something I own. It's a bit like going into the Louvre. No one's going to stop you from taking a picture of the Mona Lisa. You can and you can like put it on T-shirts, but you don't own the Mona Lisa. And I think that's kind of the idea behind NFTs and why there is so much hype around them. And people are willing to part with large sums of money just to own them. Yes, um, hopefully this isn't too left field or out of topic, but I think uh, discussing NFTs kind of reminds me of like the music industry. Um, mm -hmm. So in the music industry, of course, we can listen to music at our own discretion, but there are people who actually own the rights to the song. So the people who own the rights to the song, um, if we wanted to, for example, play the music for profit, at a nightclub or at a, at a festival, we would have to pay to use that music because we don't own it. So that's that's something that I, kind of reminds me of NFTs. Um, from like my understanding is that the person who owns 
the NFT that's your profile picture, they're the ones that have all the exclusive rights. Obviously, mm. people can take screenshots of it or copy and paste it, but they do not own the rights. So therefore, they can't sell it or, um, you know, try and make a profit from it because they don't own it. Yeah, that's actually such a good example. And actually, like NFTs are often like portrayed as images, but they can be bloody yeah, they can be like just about anything actually. Mm -hmm. Music is actually a really good example. And um NFTs are being like envisioned as a way for music, um, like um artists to um be fairly compensated for their music. Mm -hmm. So like uh I think I came across an idea where basically um I guess an artist can sell their music as an NFT and then people can buy from them. And like, if you wanted to play it, you give like a very, 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 very small amount of cryptocurrency as a way to like buy from them. And um, yeah, I see this sort of technology as like being really great for artists to be fairly compensated for their work. Like I've come across artists in this space who are finally now getting the sort of like financial recognition they deserve because they create amazing pieces of artwork. And by turning them into NFT, it's like a way that they can now generate income on that, whether that NFT also has like maybe associated royalties, say if you were to use that image for something, then it's set up in a way that they get like a small percentage of whatever profit is made from that use. And so um, NFTs, um, there definitely is some utility there, but like I can understand why people perhaps are like, well, there's nothing stopping me from copying and pasting it. It's just a fad. Um, because that's what is getting the most attention but I see uh, like lots of different applications for this type of technology. Yes I definitely feel like NFTs are getting very popular we're seeing a lot of celebrities um, just to name a few well I think pretty much all the celebrities own them um, but like <laughs> yes. you know Jay-Z, Johnny Depp, mm. um, all of these big name celebrities are getting into NFTs so are nfts the same as bitcoin um, i'd say no in that no bitcoin is a cryptocurrency uh so it's a bit it's a coin whereas an nft like just for this example is artwork i think what would perhaps make it easier to understand is to compare to compare bitcoin to ethereum Ethereum is the currency that you can buy NFTs in. And so Ethereum and Bitcoin both, both use blockchain technology. But where um, Ethereum and Bitcoin differ is that Bitcoin blockchain is only really concerned with keeping track of the cryptocurrency where, okay, so Adam gives John what, like one Bitcoin and like keeping track of essentially people's transactions of that coin. Whereas Ethereum does that, but on top of it also has some extra utility um, with features that aren't found on the Bitcoin blockchain, such as smart contracts. Um, so smart contracts are essentially bits of code that facilitate things like NFTs, NFTs. And so that's what makes an NFT different to Bitcoin. Bitcoin blockchain is primarily just like cryptocurrency. It's just money, whereas the Ethereum blockchain is the cryptocurrency and some extra utility such as NFTs, smart contracts, decentralized apps. So they are like, yeah, they are different. Okay. And I know, like, as we just discussed about with regards to NFTs and celebrities buying them, 
is this a kind of like get rich type of scheme because i know some people unfortunately can experience scams like um what are the risks that you would say that are kind of involved with nfts or yeah so i think one of the most attractive things about um nfts and cryptocurrencies such as ethereum is its decentralized nature it can also be its most sort of um risky thing so what i mean by that is um ethereum is not backed by any sort of centralized government it's a decentralized thing and that's very attractive for people who don't want like the government involved in currency and to have that sort of freedom but in saying that if something happens to your coins if something happens to your nfts there isn't anything you can do to get them back and so there's a very famous saying within like the cryptocurrency space within the blockchain space where there's a concept of not your keys, not your coins, where essentially for your cryptocurrency, you have it in something called a wallet and that wallet is secured by something called a private key. Never ever expose your private key because as soon as someone has that and it's not you, that person also has access to your coins, that person has access to your NFTs. And so if you were to accidentally expose your private key, someone else gets access to that and takes your money well there is no financial like service you can go to like you could a bank to say hi i've been scammed how can i get this money back and so for a lot of freedom there is also a lot of responsibility required to be in this space and so that's why whenever i give these sort of talks about cryptocurrency i always stress the point of doing your own research do 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 due diligence in understanding what it is exactly you're about to buy. Don't let anyone pressure you into thinking that this is a once in a lifetime offer because more often than not, someone trying to rush you is someone trying to take something off you before you have a chance to think. And so I can understand why people are really drawn to this because they see people become millionaires overnight. They, in, they invested in this random coin like maybe five years ago when it was worth like pennies and now today they're like literal millionaires because the value is gone up the roof or to the moon is what people within the crypto space like to say the value has gone to the moon and so there is a lot of other coins within that space trying to capitalize that but what I want to bring attention to is like literally anyone can create a coin like given enough training and time we could even establish a coin ourselves we could call it like the women in stemets coin um, we can essentially market this coin and get people to buy into it um, and you know if people enough people see value in it the price will go up and yeah we can maybe make a profit but there's a type of scam that exists within this space that's called a rug pull, where essentially a group of people who all know each other agree to buy into some random ass coin. And essentially, they artificially pump up the price of that coin. And so those who are outside of this group think to themselves, wow, this coin, it's, it's really going up in value. I should buy some. So they invest their money into that coin and the scam group who are very aware of what's going on then go, okay, boys, time to sell this coin. We're going to cash out this, uh, this uh, coin into money and go. And so 
then the value of the coin plummets and essentially people are then left with a coin that's worthless. It's worth a lot less than what they paid into. And that's just one of the type of scams that can like happen within this space. Um, I think squid coin was also quite an interesting thing that happened. Uh, within that within that incident, it's actually the, creator, the creators of the coin who made it impossible for people once they had bought into that coin to sort of get their money back. They couldn't trade that coin with anyone else. They couldn't like turn it back into uh, dollars, pounds, whatever they bought it with. And essentially they were stuck with a useless coin while the creator of Squid Coin ran off with their money. But there isn't any sort of police that you can run to and cry to about these sort of things. Mm-hmm. Like the responsibility is on you. So really do your research before you part with any sort of cash that has a meaning to you. Great. Thanks for that explanation and definitely, you know, reminding our listeners that NFTs do have some risk and that you need to take it into consideration. So we've discussed the, we've discussed about NFTs. Would you be able to touch on the risks of um, cryptocurrencies? As I know, they are becoming very, very popular with, you know, getting rich quick type of schemes, but what are the risks that come with them? Yeah, so like, I mean, it's very hard to ignore the sort of money that seems to be in this space. Like literally there's there these people who invested in a random coin like four or five years ago, it wasn't worth much. And then suddenly that coin's value like really goes up. It goes to the moon is what people like to say within this space. And so it makes you think, well, I want a piece of that. How can I get involved? I want the next Dogecoin. I want the next Ethereum. And so people kind of jump onto this without fully understanding what exactly they are exchanging their money with. And that's why whenever I give these sort of talks, I always stress the point of like practicing due diligence. Do your research before you part with any sort of money that has a a significant meaning to you. Um, Make sure you really understand the people who are behind the things that you buy into, because if I'm being honest, there's nothing stopping you from creating your own coin today. I'm sure given enough time, you and I, we could create our own crypto coin if we really wanted to. We could call it Stenets. We could get our friends and family to buy into it to try and bolster the value. And actually saying that kind of reminds me of a sort of scam that's very popular within the crypto space where essentially what occurs is a rug pull. So um, there was actually a coin, funnily enough, that uh, gained a little bit of popularity, I think, last year, based on the very popular show uh, on Netflix called Squid Game. And essentially, it was presenting itself as this exciting coin that people could buy, uh, could play to earn, to gain. And a lot of people bought into that coin except what happened is that it actually turned out to be a scam where people were exchanging their dollars, their euros or whatever sort of fiat currency, that's what we call like dollars, euros, um, pounds in the space, we call it fiat. People were were exchanging their fiat currency for this squid coin and essentially bolstering up its um, value. They were exchanging uh, their money with the owners for this coin. The owners then took that money and ran. And so people were essentially left with a coin that was worth absolutely nothing, whereas the people who own that coin end up getting like what, two million or something worth of the money that people bought into it. And 
like I said, within this space, it's not like looked after by any sort of government or big corporation. When things like that happen, you don't have anyone to sort of run off to like, oh, I've just been scammed. I need to get my money back like you could a bank, for example. And so don't do things you don't know essentially like take your time with these things if someone is trying to pressure you to part your money with this coin that's going to be worth this and that maybe slow it down because that person who's trying to pressure you might be actually seeking to take something off you and run before your mind realizes something is up um so yeah do your due diligence essentially and i cannot stress this enough Yes, thanks for highlighting the risks. Um, I yeah. was also wanting to ask you, what are the career options that uh, are available for people who are interested in blockchain, who find this um, very interesting and want to know about, you know, the career options that are available? Yeah, so like this space is very exciting because like there's this new technology about and there are lots of businesses that are like established big name businesses and small startups that are very interested in utilizing technology. But there's just not enough people out there who know how to do the developmental aspects that are required. Um, so one of the careers that you can have within this space is something called a Solidity Engineer. So Solidity is essentially a programming language that allows you to write smart contracts. I think I might have mentioned them previously um, in the session as smart contracts are little bits of code that live on the Ethereum blockchain. They allow you to do things like NFTs, to collect votes, to essentially crowdfund. They're bits of code that live on the Ethereum blockchain. And a Solidity engineer's job is to essentially write those. Um, it is a highly in-demand job because there's just not enough people out there and this is such new technology that people who are within this field can reach seniority pretty quickly. Um, so these are things that you can learn online actually um, and happily share with you my list of uh, learning resources that can help you learn about this technology if you want to in your own time and i highly encourage it because there's just such a wealth of information on youtube for free that can teach you how to write in solidity and create these smart contracts um, in relation to uh, the smart contracts, there is uh, such a thing as a Web3 engineer. So if I could just take a small tangent, a Web3 is essentially the websites that you use every day that have the ability to interact with the blockchain. And so the job of a Web3 engineer is to essentially associate the functionality of a smart contract with a website you call those things decentralized applications or dApps. And so a Web3 engineer can be actually someone who already has pre-existing knowledge of web development, such as myself, who makes, uses, makes use of APIs that allow communication of a website with the Ethereum blockchain essentially to say, allow people to buy nfts like if you wanted to buy an nft it's very likely that the way that it's occurring is because someone was able to hook up the smart contract that is minting and distributing these nfts with your website and so those are two examples of um, blockchain specific um, jobs that people can do but make no mistake 
that blockchain technology still depends on a lot of the technology that non-blockchain places use. So we need people who can essentially make websites. We need people who can create product products. We need people who can organize, which is like just, we need cat herders essentially to keep the devs and the product managers and everyone in line. So don't think that just because you don't know Solidity or you don't know how to create a decentralized app that you can't come into this industry, because I'm telling you, if you have some sort of interest and a pre-existing technical skill, you can use that as leverage to get into this industry, which is what I seem to have done actually. So yeah. That sounds great. And from your experience what would you say is the most common mistakes that you've seen women in stem uh, make with regards to the industry that you are working in or just your experience overall um yeah i think we had a very hearty discussion about this off recording where i um said that salary negotiation was uh, something i regard as a mistake and I want to preface by saying that like though I speak like in this sort of way it doesn't mean that I myself haven't struggled with this in fact I am actively struggling with this as I negotiate a salary um, where negotiation is an incredibly important part of like just getting what you are worth I've been listening to a audiobook I believe it's women in tech I'll share the name with you so you can put in the show notes where mm -hmm. essentially the author posited that the zeroth minute of the wage gap between men and women starts when no salary negotiations start. Generally, women do not negotiate when given a offer, an initial offer. I myself, when I am given an offer, especially when it's a lot more than what I'm being paid for, I have a lot in me that says just accept it and just start with the job, like just go. And that is actually the one thing you don't want to do. And what you want to realize that want to realize is that this is probably one of the best moments you will have in the whole duration from the job, from you starting to ending, where you have the most power to sort of establish what you are worth to this company. And so learning how to negotiate i think is an incredibly important skill and i would recommend that people take the time to look at techniques and ways that they can essentially leverage um the their options and ask for more which is just even so scary in itself and so if you have difficulties with that i also recommend one thing you could do is enlist the help of a professional nego uh, salary negotiator, especially one that works in tech who has access to perhaps so many different salaries of people who work in tech that they can tell you straight off the bat that what you're getting, you're getting underpaid. Here's an example of what someone with a similar skill set at a different company or even the same company was able to get. Like they're not exactly cheap, but I would say that doing Working with a salary negotiator is an investment that your career can definitely benefit from because yes, you get more money, but it's also allowing you to learn how to advocate for yourself and how to ask for more and not to be afraid about it. Like if you think about it, they're incredibly mediocre, like people who maybe don't even code as well as you, but just because they have the audacity, the goal the like chutzpah to ask for more they are making more than you and so I'd really urge women to just 
be a bit brave and have that audacity to ask for more. Tell them that why you are so good and so rare to ask for more. Like, just don't don't sell yourself short at all and just sing your praises because the worst they can say is no. And if that's the case, I'm sure there's another company out there who will who would be willing to pay you more. Yes, I think what you said is definitely spot on and I actually plan on doing an episode specifically uh, um, specifically about salary negotiation because I feel like this is a issue that a lot of women in STEM are facing and they don't really know how to navigate the situation and um, I think that it's very important that we have a better understanding so do you have any advice about how to uh, deal with rejection or any setbacks one might experience during their career? Yeah, um, I think my question is, like my, sorry, my answer to that question is um, a matter of perspective in how you choose to look at what has happened. You can choose to take what has happened, this rejection, the setback as essentially a doom and gloom sort of like prognosis that you're never going to get a job. You're never going to break it into this industry. You're going to be always struggling and like when you give that sort of like perspective to yourself it just makes it so hard and demotivating to try and continue and do what you want to do people end up quitting and so I would urge you to have the perspective that rejection is redirection I suppose like I'm someone who sort of believes in like universe and manifestation and all that like kind of um woo-woo stuff but I do find it like quite useful in that I try not to take my rejections and setbacks personally meaning that when I am rejected when there is a setback that isn't saying that I don't have any worth this thing just simply isn't for me and in saying that that doesn't mean that I can't go on to do other things too um, I believe very much that don't tell yourself no until they tell you no, but even then go off and find someone else who will find, who will tell you yes. And so I think it's very important to sort of have that space when rejection, when rejection comes to remind you that this isn't like a terminal sort of like conclusion that you're never ever going to be able to get some somewhere. Maybe you just need to, I don't know, improve on something or do something differently. And that's why I'd also recommend if you are rejected, use that as an opportunity to get some meaningful type of feedback and use that as essentially the thing to upgrade your armor for your next battle if you don't know how to do something and your coding test was failed why don't you go and learn how to do that algorithm if perhaps it's like something you're missing from your portfolio site add that like use every opportunity of rejection as that thing that stepping stone that gets you closer to what you truly deserve and what you truly like need don't give up really do not give up like believe in yourself and things should start to happen they might not be the way you want them but I believe like if you stick at it it will work out eventually wow thanks for that great answer and um how best can people connect with you um do you have any social medias or any um, events that you might be hosting soon that you would like to plug oh I am uh, very social media shy and so <laughs> 
I think the best way people can get in contact with me is over LinkedIn. And if you quote that you basically know of me through this podcast, I will happily introduce myself and we can start talking about blockchain technology if you want a more like deep overview of the opportunities that exist or any sort of like encouragement I can give you to show that you do belong in this space. So LinkedIn is my primary way that I prefer to be got in contact with. Okay, that sounds great. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and um, breaking down this uh, very um, tough topic with us. I know that um, you've uh, really broken it down into such an easy format for us to understand. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to the amazing guest host speaker, And thank you for listening to this episode. Please make sure to follow the podcast and to follow me on social media at Kelly underscore engineer on Twitter or Instagram. As well as please make sure to check out our new YouTube channel called Women in STEM podcast to see our latest episodes visually. Until next time. Bye.